If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Welcome back to another episode of Money Honeys where we... Freddie, Chantel, and Devin are striving to break the taboo of money discussion while also learning the economics and taboos of different industries. Which is why today we have sex worker activist extraordinaire, Selena the Stripper. I am so excited. Oh yeah. You knew I would be though. Oh yeah. Yeah, I love this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, Selena literally told me on the phone just to worry about like the resume bullet points but honestly it's just so impressive that I was like I, I'm, I'm just gonna gush for a minute we got it okay Selena who uses Fayfair pronouns is a sex worker writer podcaster and community organizer after graduating from Maryland Institute College of Art in 2015, Faye realized Faye didn't want to join the elitist world of institutional art and instead began stripping and finding financial stability within a community of incredibly strong, radically free thinking artists. Selena is published many times over, is the president of Strippers United, hosts a podcast called Ho in the Know, shares writing and photography on Fair Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl, and posts weekly exclusive content on Fair Patreon at The Real Pretty Boy Girl. Yeah, talk about wow. This a is why resume. I was like, I'm not just going to bullet point it. Faye is booked and busy. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Selena is here to tell us all about the economics of sex work as well as strip club etiquette. You got to follow strip club etiquette. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be that person. Yeah, you mm-hmm. don't. I haven't really been to strip clubs that much in my life. So my knowledge about strip clubs and the stripper space does not run super deep. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to talk to Selena and hear what Faye has to say. Which brings me to like my question. So mm-hmm. where do y'all stand when it comes to your knowledge about the economics of sex work and stripping? My knowledge in this space is like quite minimal. Um, but... I firmly believe it's like sex work is work. It mm-hmm. should be treated as such. But I I do need to educate myself more. There is a lot more that I need to that I need to know about it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there's you know, in my head I feel like it's generally just like stage dancing and like maybe mm-hmm. a private dance here or there. But I think there's like a lot more that goes into it, especially on the financial side that I really have no idea about. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm I'm curious to hear like all of the ins and outs for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. I used to um have privates with a couple of dancers when I worked at S Factor, my pole dancing studio. And it was interesting because, you know, I, my pole dancing knowledge and how I taught is like very intimate and like kind of like a psychonaut experience. Like you go into yourself, it's meditative. Mm. But when I would give privates to actual strippers, you know, their whole business model is predicated on how they can make you feel. And so mm. a lot of like the, it's a really interesting combination because it's like, yes, it's performative, but it's also completely intimate. Mm-hmm. Like eye contact means a lot. Mm. Touch does a lot of heavy lifting and mm-hmm. it's like, 
I don't know. Remember when we um, went to the Magic Mike in Vegas when we shot that BuzzFeed video? <laughs> yeah. Remember how deeply those guys would look into our eyes? Yeah. It was like unnerving. True. Right. And but you felt connected as hell. Yeah. yeah. Like there was no escaping that. Yeah. And so it's like an exercise on being a performer, but also being like right there with you, which yeah. I think is something that we don't think about as labor. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's both. It's how to express yourself while having that other person feel close. Yeah, it's yeah. therapy plus entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and kind kind of in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right, y'all. Well, I am ready to dive right in. So let's welcome Selena to the pod after, after the, the break. break. You're gonna have to wait. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. We are back. We have our guest Selena calling in. Welcome, Selena. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited. Yeah, and you're such a you're such a cutie too. I know. <laughs> I know. You are very attractive. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So yeah, take that. Um, <laughs> so anyways, anyways, um, so Selena, you spend a lot of energy on your social platforms educating folks on this subject. And before we start, we just want to take a moment to say. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. For the education and all that you do, because I firmly believe if you want to control people, you have to control the way they think and have sex. So Mm. you're doing a very brave thing. Um, And two, uh, you are willing to come on our podcast to talk to us about this stuff. So thanks again. Thank you times two. Oh, well, (laughs) thanks. I love the the double thanks. (laughs) So to start, can you tell our listeners how sex work is defined and what professions might be a part or underneath that umbrella, in your opinion? Yeah, well, I like that you call it an umbrella term um, because that's what it is. It's something that holds a lot of different classifications. So um, I kind of define it as people engaging in intimate labor. Um, Mm. And so there's a variety of people who fall into that category. Um, And whenever I say intimate, I also mean like sexual, because I think that that's also important. It is sex work. It's not just the intimacy, um, but but intimacy is a really important part. Um, So there's cameras, there's strippers, porn stars, um, escorts, um, people who do street-based sex work, there's uh, phone sex operators, um, there's people doing like the variety of online sex work, uh, that whole thing has expanded so much. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, OnlyFans has really made things uh, different, but there's also people who sell clips, there's people who just sell online chat sessions um, via like 
Zoom or via um, Skype or things like that. Um, there's cuddlers. Cuddlers are fantastic as well. Um, I mean, there's just like a huge number of people who fit under this umbrella term. Um, and it's really useful because it's a way of classifying labor and creating solidarity um, around a group of people who are otherwise excluded from a lot of discussions around labor and around uh, protections of labor. Totally. I really love that term, intimate labor. Me too. Yeah. Very light bulby for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, you're right. I mean, it do, obviously does extend to sex work, but there's a intimacy piece that I think that, you know, people overlook a lot because they rush straight to the sex part. And a lot of like the intimacy heavy lifting comes in the pillow talk either afterwards before you know mm. it comes in making people feel individual and seen and i think that's a huge part of the business i mean it really seems like an i mean it's an art it's yeah. a skill like a true skill being able to like get people to um open up and trust you because mm -hmm. i feel like the trust is a big part of it too oh yeah definitely yeah. there's so much trust that is involved and we really have to create an environment where people are invited to be vulnerable in a very special way um, and so we have to kind of create that from the start just establishing a rapport of openness and acceptance and um, care for people so yeah there's a lot of that is the intimate labor wow. absolutely and that is at times very laborious, I would imagine. <laughs> you would just Pretty consistently work. laborious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like trying to like connect. I mean, also, I'm more of like an introvert at heart, too. Oh, yeah. And so I'm just even to like energetically of like, how do you like create a space so that this person is very deliberately feeling these things? Like, y'all. Yeah. That's that's work. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely an introvert. And I would say that um, a lot of the sex worker friends that I have are very deeply introverted people. Um, so it's it's really interesting that you can be very introverted. And I think in a way, like introversion can lend you a sense of like sensitivity to especially people who have other um, who feel that like fear or feel um, very shy about being open so you can be like very receptive to that shyness and kind of be able to work around it or encourage people to open up I think it's kind of inviting to to purchase sex work with a, an introvert especially if you're an introvert yourself mm. yeah like I feel like it's definitely almost a, an act of like meeting people where they are um, and I feel like if you are an introvert it's almost easier or you almost have like a different sense of like, I don't know, more like empathy for mm -hmm. where they are so you can kind of like work with them in that way. So Selena, what are common misconceptions that you feel are important for people to realize regarding sex work? One is the amount of labor that it takes. A lot of people think of it as an easy money occupation. Uh, and while you're able to make a lot of money faster than you would in other jobs, there's a lot that you also have to kind of wager in the balance, I guess. You have to wager your credibility. You have to wager your position in society and the way that you're regarded. You have to um, put on the line your ability to get jobs in the future. Uh, a lot of people face significant discrimination um, in housing and also in child custody. 
cases. Um, there's just pretty rampant uh, stigma-based discrimination directed at sex workers. And so um, while you know the money can be great, uh, and I would also say that it's not always great. Um, a lot of people who are in sex work are making uh, money that is kind of at around the poverty line. Um, up to like about middle class. There are very few, I would say maybe like top 1% of sex workers who are making, um, you know, six figures. Um, but that's super rare. A lot, most people are kind of just getting by and living paycheck to paycheck. Um, it's also something that a lot of families do. Um, there are some notable like sex working families uh, who do um, incredible work and are very public about it and they have that um, like place of like somewhat privilege you know to be out in the world or they do it out of complete bravery um, I would I think of King Noir and Jetsa Jasmine um, they're an incredible couple and they have a very public stance about it and they create porn together and um, they're very out in the open about it and there's a lot of you know great sex work couples I mean I think of um, I think Joanna Angel and uh, Little Little Hands, or yeah, I think it's Little Hands. Sorry if I got the names wrong. I love them. Um, I think it's so great that they're out in the open doing this. But <laughs> um, you know, there's a variety of people doing it. There are a variety of ages. My grandma of sex work, um, Cinnamon Love, is absolutely incredible. She's a granny making porn, and she's been in the industry forever and is super iconic. Um, Another thing is that, uh, you know, this is somewhat related to porn. I could go on and on about like a million different things that are that people just don't know about sex work, especially porn and things like that. Um, but a lot of the licensing issues uh, can really screw performers over. Um, so people may not have a uh, full you know, rights over their content or distribution. Cinnamon found that um, her image was used in a couple different movies. She was not listed in those movies at all as a credited role. And uh, she was not given any mm. money, no, uh, you know, no <laughs> money for, you know, her being featured in this. She wasn't even informed of it until somebody told her that she was featured. I think she was featured in... Um, a poster, I think it was like a poster in like Snakes on a Plane or something like that. It was a Samuel L. Jackson um, film, and uh, they had photoshopped her image onto the poster wow. with him, and she just did not know. What? What? <laughs> Excuse? That's um, not legal. Like big time stuff. Yeah, yeah that's you have very wild. Little, um, yeah. Control over your image uh, in this, and I mean, there's that's just kind of a very common mm. thing in the sex industries. Um, I would say like in. In stripping, there's a lot of other things that are very, which is what I do. So I'm a stripper primarily, but I've done a variety of different sex work. I've escorted, I've been a sugar baby, I've done um, phone sex, I've done camming, um, I've done some BDSM work as well. So, um, but there's a lot of exploitative things that are more on the or systemic level than necessarily one-to-one -one interaction level. I think a lot of, a big misconception is that the primary people taking advantage of sex workers are customers and our clients. And I would say that mm. it's more systemic things that are exploiting us or creating exploitative situations. It sounds like, you know, you've described 
hard costs of doing this job. Like a lot of times we think about like the cons of taking a position anywhere. We we describe those as soft costs. Those are like leveraging your place in society, leveraging your future as to have another career. Uh, that's those are really difficult things to contend oh, yeah. with. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely mm-hmm. very hard costs. And, you know, we think of them as, I mean, you can put a number to a lot of these costs, uh, unfortunately. And they're, right. and I, mean, and I mean, some of them are so expensive. I mean, having custody of your child, like, can you put a price on that? Right. Um, Why? Right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. Right. I know I never even... Um, basically like did my like mental math to carry like the stigmatization through to a custody battle through to buying a home through to getting loans or anything like that a, a lot of sex workers also have their bank accounts taken um especially escorts especially mm. online sex workers will just have their bank accounts closed because they're participating in erotic labor and there are, are a lot of clauses that are anti-vice, I guess, in, in banking. Um, and so sex trade things kind of fall under that umbrella. And so a lot of um, bank accounts for sex workers are seized without um, notice and um, just, you know, there a lot of sex workers are excluded from banking. They are unbanked. Wait, you said something about a vice clause in banking, which is hilarious to me because uh, I feel like if we're going to talk about vices, banks are like <laughs> the number one contender or like the oh, financial yeah. industry. <laughs> right. Call, what a vice. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. bombing a country for oil is not a vice, apparently, mm-hmm. but um, consensual mm-hmm. sex labor, one to one between two consenting individuals is a vice, apparently. So. Um, so there are vice clauses that um, prevent things like sex work, but also like marijuana from be- participating in uh, major banks. Um, there's also like major mm-hmm. credit processing um, fees that adult websites have to pay um, and adult entertainment spots as well. So like strip clubs also pay like a much higher rate for credit processing than um, other you know, regular businesses, I guess, non-vice businesses. Um, so mm. yeah, it's it, it's definitely like a kind of preemptive, protective measure, I guess. But there's also a lot of um, conservative lobbying involved with how this is how this comes to be. So conservative lobbyists uh, and investors and stakeholders in banking institutions um, put a lot of pressure on banks to not do business with uh, vice, quote unquote, vice businesses. Um, so. Again, mm. you know, sex work, uh, gambling, uh, and um, j- various drugs, things like that, but mostly like marijuana, since that's what's becoming uh, decriminalized or legalized. I thought it was really interesting what you're saying of like kind of the added taxes and stuff, like for places like a strip club, and like it it feels important to be framing a strip club like as a workplace where it's like when you go into anyone's workplace there's inherent rules that you follow there's like you know if I went into your job it's I'm not going to be like running around however I want in there it's like no I'm, I'm visiting you mm-hmm. at your place of work mm-hmm. I have to conduct myself 
in the expected manner. And I love on your your Instagram too, just like the information you provide of like, when you come to a strip club, here's how you should be acting. Um, can you just talk about some of those rules that people need to be aware of when they enter a workplace that is a strip club? Yeah. Um, well, I would say, like you just said, um, it is a workplace and we are all working. Um, and something that people don't understand is that in most states, ex aside from the state of California, and with some exceptions because strip clubs are notorious for breaking the rules, um, strippers do not get paid a wage. So all of the money that we make uh, is based on what you purchase at the club or what you hand us. Um, and so if you think you can just come to the club and watch a stripper dance on stage for free, um, that means that that dancer is not getting paid any money. Um, and so you're just getting a free show and that's just honestly super rude and just not fair at all because we're coming in, we're putting on a show and this show takes skill. It takes, um, a, Absolutely. Yeah, it takes skill. It takes time to develop, you know, your particular style. And um, there's a lot that goes into the presentation of being a, an effective dancer. There's like money, monetary investments in hair and makeup mm -hmm. and body um, and, and yeah. things like that. So there are a lot of costs that we assume going in. And then additionally, uh, we have to pay things like house fees and tip outs. So most clubs... What are those? <laughs> most clubs make you pay to work, uh, which is definitely a very strange situation. Um, we pay fees to be allowed to work our shifts um, across the board. So whether that's like a flat house fee, and sometimes these house fees can be a hundred to hundreds of dollars uh, expectation that you have to pay coming in or that you pay whenever you leave. Um, and then in addition, there tends to be an accepted understanding that you will also tip out uh, the rest of the staff. And the rest of the staff is making hourly money. So they're getting an hourly wage, right. but strippers are not, and yet they're expected to tip out the bouncer and often managers, and they're paying the DJ, and they're paying whoever's like counting the dances. So they're paying all of that as well. Um, Another thing is that a lot of clubs, well, not all, because the thing about this industry, it is very uh, heterogeneous. So there's not mm. very much continuity of the way that things are from place to place. Um, so most strip clubs that I've worked at, um, dance or any dance that you purchase with a stripper, um, the cost will be split between this or sorry the price will be split between the club and the dancer so um, the dancer may receive 50% of the total dance price um, if you're working at a club that penalizes you for missing a shift you could get as little as 30% of the dance um, and 70% goes to the club so it's really important to know what the amount of money your dancer is getting so that you can tip adequately Another thing I encourage mm -hmm. people to do is to think about tipping like you tip at a restaurant. Like, you want to tip like 15 to 20 percent uh, at least. Like, that's like the minimum. A lot of times people don't even have an idea of how to tip. Um, I mean, I generally say like go for more because <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's yeah. a high risk occupation. And so you're paying people to assume that risk and you're enjoying something that is like them assuming that risk. So you should compensate well, them. Typically, mm-hmm. I feel like it, with any kind of body work, massages, getting your hair cut, whatever, it, it should be a 25 to 30% tip. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I think mean, that I pref- yeah. across the board, <laughs> the right? the problem is like not enough people even tip the 20%, you know? Mm, right. Um, it, it's definitely like you have to be very assertive as a stripper to make the money that you may want to make. Um because people don't always have the decorum or they'll try to kind of skate out with and, and feign that they don't know that they're supposed to tip. Mm, <laughs> they think, right. oh, just the dance is enough and, and you've already gotten paid and you should be happy for it. Mm. Um, another misconception is that it's just for fun and that we're just out here, you know, <laughs> being sluts, having fun. <laughs> And, Listen, you know. I'm all about sluts having fun. <laughs> <laughs> but this is more. This is more. This, this is more is than that. This is yeah. A job. Yeah. 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 It's a job. Like I can go have I can go be a slut having fun at a regular bar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. At, at home. We can be a slut at home. <laughs> at home having exactly. a great time. <laughs> I'm really upset. I'm really upset. Yeah. I'm really upset by these, by especially, like, because it's almost like when you have, like, when you're a hairstylist working in a salon and you have a booth fee that you mm-hmm. have to pay, which is what, you know, some of what is being charged by or being charged to the customer. But, and like, so I understand that, like, I guess you're utilizing the space, mm-hmm. but kind of like you were saying, it's very high risk, like, mm-hmm. to be taking, you know, I really think it should be like 30% right. mm-hmm. to the establishment at, at the most. Mm-hmm. And then like 70% goes They charge to, to get in for most of these yeah. places. Like, why, why are you taking a cut out of the dancer's money right. when you're already charging customers to come in in a lot of these places? And then also the tipping out of the DJ and the security guard. I, I can't. I I'm mad like, about it. I'm, I'm like, what's left? <laughs> like, literally what's, what's left? left? <laughs> you know? I mean, Can you? have had friends who have made nothing in a night and still oh, wow. felt obliged to tip out people because that system is just really ingrained into dancers and yeah. you can be mistreated if you don't tip out. Um, yeah, bouncers may not walk you to your car. They'll just be like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, let, let them go. Like, we're not even going to make sure that this dancer makes it to their car safely, wow. you know? like I hate that. Can you walk us through the process of, because I'm thinking about tipping and tipping out. I, I can't help but think about when I used to work at a restaurant. Um, and a lot of times when I worked at a restaurant, I wouldn't report my tips, especially mm. like cash tips. So can you walk us through the process of you just finished a dance, you're getting your money off the ground, or if you have someone who picks it up for you, like walk us through that process of how you report your tips. Um, well, typically dancers don't um, have to report their tips to the club. Uh, it's generally kind of, uh, <laughs> so there's just a lot of shady stuff that happens. So a lot of times, unless you're in California where the rules are very strict, in other states, uh, there's a lot of underreporting of uh, the number of workers at clubs. Um, there's mm. ma- there's very consistent underreporting of earnings. There's just a lot of money laundering that happens or um, just tax fraud, I would say, that happens with strip mm-hmm. clubs across the board. Um, so they're not reporting a lot of the people who they're paying out 
Um, and so there's not very much expectation for dancers to also um, report anything. Um, and another, well, I guess, so there are our clubs that will collect the money for you and then they will count it, but that feels very shady because yeah, uh, a lot of times they take the money into another room and then they tell right. you afterwards mm -hmm. how much you make and then sometimes or often they will take a cut and you just don't know how much of a cut they've taken. Um, they, you just have to trust them that they're honestly giving you your money back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the issue of taxes with stripping is, is definitely, well, I would say with sex work across the board is definitely a complicated one. Would you say that generally like a lot of these things are kind of just like unspoken rules mm -hmm. in the club versus like requirements and it's almost just like gaining, you know, the, any type of respect or making sure that people don't bother you. You know what I mean? Like how is it, what, what's the vibe? Mm -hmm. well, yeah, we need vibe check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's definitely a combination of the two. So I'll give a personal example. Um, I was tipping, but apparently I wasn't tipping out enough. And one uh, night after work, I got a call from a manager who said that there was a meeting of staff uh, where they discussed certain dancers and not tipping enough. And apparently a group of people unnamed to me uh, had complained that I was not tipping enough. And the manager said that I may not continue to have employment if I don't adjust my tipping. Uh, so it can be that direct. It can be that explicit. And uh, that's definitely coercion. And that's definitely mm -hmm. all kinds of illegal. Um, so it can be that that explicit, but it can also be a tacit thing. It could be like another time I was working at a club and I didn't realize that I needed to tip out the DJ. And then the DJ was not putting me on stage all night and I went up to him and he just gave me this look and I just didn't, I didn't understand what it was. And I think, and then I, I forget, I think he said something like, you know, I, I put the girls on stage who tipped me something like that and I was that like, could have been a oh. conversation instead of an aggressive moment you know yeah. he could have just come up to you and been like this is the thing that you're that's striking me with these conversations like we're talking about labor labor is labor across the board yet in these come in these situations where someone has to disrobe or get intimate or you know whatever you it feels like you're losing your humanness or people are stripping you pun not intended of your humanness like you are a worker you are a human therefore you know you can you are you are you have the right to a, a respectful conversation about like hey in this industry you know this is protocol or whatever you know you, you have the right to not be coerced at work mm -hmm. but because you take your shirt off or xyz it feels like there are all these like murky little rules that people slide in that are unsaid uh, would you agree with that? Is that, or is that just kind of like me reacting like a mama bear? In the first impression. <laughs> I definitely think because there's this misunderstanding about stripping, for example, and sex work generally, that it's a gig job. It's a short-term thing. It's uh, something that you do for fun to experiment, and mm. again, just like sluts having fun. 
Um, and so people don't think about it as a career and they don't treat it as a career, at least the people who are on the regulatory end and the people who are enforcing policies in the various companies and institutions that employ us. Um, and so we're taking advantage of. Oh my God, I want to mm-hmm. like open a strip club. Like I, a, I know, just I would, to be like. Yes, just to have like a fire ass work environment. Right. Like, <laughs> like we post our yes, rules on the walls. Yes. So we, <laughs> like uh, everyone knows. There are definitely like places where the rules are posted on the walls. And I would say at my club, they do say like, you need to tip out this person, this person, and this person. But there's a lot of inherent unfairness in this tipping mm-hmm. situation because it is a largely uh, femme uh, workforce, even though there's like a lot of people who are on the gender spectrum, mm-hmm. <clears throat> sure, non-binary, and also masculine outside of the club, people who mm-hmm. identify with he, him pronouns outside of the club. Um, but mm-hmm. I would say it's generally a femme workforce, and the, the femme workforce is forced to tip out the primar- predominantly male uh, staff. Uh, and that's and that's that's mm-hmm. the part that gets mm-hmm. me. It does not. It makes me feel upset and it makes me feel icky. Mm-hmm. That it's like I don't know if the security guard and the DJ were women. Like if this was like a women's club, mm-hmm. I would feel less. But it's also like, why are the people <laughs> assuming the most risk who are mm-hmm. doing the hardest, the heaviest the hardest. labor? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. having to pay out the most having to pay out everybody just to work you know it's like we're paying everybody kind of a version of hush money to just Mm -hmm. like let us do our thing let us work in some degree of peace and that's the only way that we're able to get that peace is to pay everybody off a little bit everybody wants oh yeah Yeah. and like you said like these are you're also tipping out people who have their hourly wage who know how much they're going to be making that night anyways and who are getting that more traditional version of a paycheck. And then it's like you still have to tip them out. I just did. Did you all like know that? I truly I did not know. That. I'm, my I mind did. is so blown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I knew we had to tip out, but mm. I didn't know you had. I thought that when you're tipping out, I thought you were tipping out the bouncer for protection, mm. which is obviously true. But uh, the tipping out the managers and yeah. like the upper. Yeah. Like the staff that way, right? No, and bartenders it, are already getting tips. I, I know, like, and and servers should be getting tips too, right? It's just like it it bothers me how unacceptable that would be in another workplace, and mm-hmm. how expected it is in the club, and because it is it is taking advantage of the stigma and the added cost that the dancers have. Yeah, and we're revealing in this conversation that like the shame is still very much placed on the femme mm-hmm. presenting folks who are working mm-hmm. when it's everybody engaging in the space, mm-hmm. right? Manager like, gets to be, uh, oh, I manage a business. DJ gets to be a DJ. Server right. gets to be a server, you know? Right. And nothing else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's even wilder in California now um, because mm. we got reclassified as employees. And so now there's all kinds of wild things that are happening. Uh, (laughs) Clubs have tried to skate out of paying wages by classifying dancers as partial owners or Uh. uh, (laughs) all kinds of other really weird things. Um, Another thing here in California is that we're forced to not only pay our wages, but also pay our wage tax. So we have to hustle up. So... (laughs) 
at my club, Uncle I have to I have to earn twice as much money um, to pay my wage and to also get myself paid out. So like, I ha- to earn my wage, which I have to pay out, which is about like a hundred dollars. Um, and another wild thing is uh, at my club, for example, we're treated as uh, employees for the first five hours that we work. And then they don't really document us after that, so they're not paying any additional wages. And so dancers can work 12-hour shifts and only really be on the books for five hours and Mm. get paid uh, hourly for those five hours. The rest of those hours, they don't get any additional hourly wage. How is that legal? How? It's it's not. It's It's not. not. But the problem is regulators are not looking into these kinds of things. They're not. It's Mm -hmm. not on their radar. They're not like... They don't care about that stuff because they don't Mm -hmm. care about this industry. It's a hot potato kind of issue, you know? A lot Mm -hmm. of um, people who are working in politics don't want their names conflated with sex work because of the the stigma around it. Um, It's it's something that is like a very politically undesirable thing to champion, unfortunately. And yet it's the oldest profession. And in the book. And yet they and purchase yet. sex work, you know? I know. <laughs> that mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we covered this, guys. Sorry. Is there... So I've actually only been to a strip club once or twice mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, can we circle back to, like, you said, you know, 25 30% in terms of tipping? Like, of what in particular? Like, can we get a little bit more clear on how much people should be, like, really, like, you know, giving you guys? Because this is important. Great question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, well... I always advise people, if you're going to go to a strip club, expect to spend at least $200. It's a luxury. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, it, it's not something that you're supposed to price down or have the price chops because, like I've said, we are assuming a lot of, uh, you know, we're assuming a lot to do this labor. So expect to pay like $200 in total. Um Whenever you're tipping the stage, I would say tip at least $5 per performer who's going up. Um, it's not a ton, but it is, it can, you know, it adds up Add for up, sure. Yeah. Um, especially since typically like stage sets for dancers are like about five, six minutes most of the time. Um, so you're rotating pretty quickly through that, like $5 every six minutes approximately. Um, I would say like, Whenever I was talking about the tipping uh, 20 to 30%, that's on a dance. So like if you purchase a private lap dance with a, a stripper, then that's where I would say like 30% of the total dance cost or something Got like you. that. Um, unless it's like a $20 dance, which unfortunately, like a lot of clubs still have single song dances for $20, which is really low. What? Especially whenever, <laughs> I know it's kind of, it's it's wild to me. Um, thankfully, that's not the case at my club, but um, a lot of clubs do that. So you know, tip your tip your dancer twenty bucks if you're if they're on your lap and they're, you're getting a lap dance. Like that's it's not ridiculous. It's just it's nice. It's just a nice yeah. thing to do. <laughs> Good to know. Mm-hmm. The last time I was at a strip club, it was in Houston, Texas. And I got one of the best massages, like shoulder massages. She was like, do you want a lap dance? I was like, no, but you could rub my shoulders. And she did. And I tipped her 50 bucks for that. It was like for 15 minutes. 
Yeah. It was it was like, man, they, we should advertise this more. You know? <laughs> right? like, we'll dance, we'll do whatever. We'll also give bomb massages. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty of lap, lap dances. It's a very vague term. Um, mm. And it can mean, you know, like riding in somebody's lap, or it can mean a hover dance, but it can also mean like talking for that amount yeah. of time or, you know, cuddling, uh, neck massage. Um, I don't know, even a, a little fortune telling reading like there are so many different uh talents that strippers have uh and so you know it's a pretty expansive term Mm -hmm. whenever you actually see it applied i love your framing of it as this is this is a luxury like going here is a luxury you're not it's not grabbing a cup of coffee real quick Mm -hmm. it is more akin to like going and getting an expensive massage or going and getting an expensive whatever the hell you know and yeah. if you choose not, to do yeah. if you choose to do it multiple times a week then mm-hmm. that's on you right you still need to be paying you need to assume the cost <laughs> yes mm-hmm. budget it in right. do, work your numbers do what you need to do yeah but pay up yeah yeah it's a luxury expense and and to that end i heard i an adage a while back that strippers are the first people who can predict a recession Mm. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. Fort- so <laughs> in a recession. <laughs> <laughs> For example, now. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely been a really different environment post COVID. Um, mm. Well, I guess we're not post COVID. We're still in COVID. To be clear, we're still people are still getting COVID, still mm. dying of COVID. So that's real. Um, but it, the economy hasn't recovered, and the club that I was used to prior is very different. Um, there, it's just quieter. People are very cautious with their money right now. There's not as much big spending. A mm-hmm. lot of people who used to be regulars who would show up like every week, the the real regulars, um, have not returned. Uh, a lot of people in California moved to um, Zoom towns, you know, like places where they could work remotely that are a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, so they moved out of state. They moved to a lot of suburban enclaves. Um, and so we lost a lot of our major customer base. Um, and across the country, I've heard this from strippers like all the way in like Miami and stuff, uh, which is like one of the strip club capitals in the country. Um, people are saying that clubs are quieter, they're empty whenever they used to be packed at any given hour. Um, And so we feel it first, uh, maybe, but I think we're feeling it across the board. I mean, in California, it's like six, seven dollars for a gallon of gas. I mean, that has to translate. I mean, if we think about how much of a, what percentage of minimum wage that is, that's a really high percentage. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can't afford to drive to work because your half of your wage is going to gas, I mean, it's it's just a very self defeating uh, exercise. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm loving this conversation about the financial and economic rules of engaging with with sex workers, and I very much want to continue this conversation, and we will. But we're going to do that after, after the, the break. break. We're back. 
and we're just about to talk with our guest, Selena, about the economics of sex work. So can you talk to us a little bit more about this side of things and the types of financial models that strippers are typically operating within? So again, this is a tip-based economy, largely, um, but so there's like a couple different ways that strippers make their money. Um, in California, because we have to pay our own wages and our own wage tax, uh, there's a really heavy pressure on strippers now to sell dances mm-hmm. um, versus getting their money primarily on stage. Mm-hmm. There are other places like Miami and um, I would say Houston um, where strippers make a lot of their money um, doing stage shows. So it's mostly a stage-based tip economy. Um And that's the ones where the clubs are often like counting the money ahead or you see like all of the pictures of like strippers with like um, garbage bags full of ones. (laughs) So that kind of like tip heavy situation. Um, But there are a lot of clubs that are tip based and that don't really offer lap dances, especially in places where um, it's more conservative, where there's like a lot of no touch rules. Mm. Um, There are certain states and places like for example, San Diego, where you have to keep uh, like six inches of distance between yourself and customers whenever giving dances or things like that. Um, Which do you prefer? So there's like a pretty one. Um, I personally think that you should leave it up to the strippers to decide where their um, levels of comfort are. Mm-hmm. So if I think that so another thing that people like don't have. Okay, I think that there's, like, a lot of negativity directed at people who use uh, strip clubs as, like, a place to give um, full-service sex uh, services. So this is illegal advice. (laughs) Um, But a pragmatic take, I would say. Mm -hmm. There are not many places for full-service sex workers where they're able to provide their services um, in a place that has security, that has somebody enforcing that they're going to get paid. Um, you know, the, the bouncers and the kind of um, enforced uh, dance payment allows full-service sex workers uh, to work in a controlled environment where they have those protections. And I think that it's really important that we care about full-service sex workers, and I should define that. That's people who have... Um, sex, whatever that means to that person. That could be penetrative, it could be oral, it could be um, like hand stimulation. I think sex is like a pretty wide breadth of things as a queer person. So, uh, you know, it's not just any one thing. Um, So strip clubs can be a place where people who would otherwise face a lot of harm and danger being independent and doing this on their own, having to go to somebody's house and or to a hotel where they could, you know, um, they don't have as much control. They don't have people looking out for them unless there's like a pimping system involved, um, which ha- is something I could go into as something that is much more complicated than people make it out mm. to be. But anyway, it can be a place for people who want to offer these services to have that protection. And I think that that should be something that is kind of valued. So that's why I say that we should allow people to do what they feel comfortable with. Um, I think it's good to have protections. I think it's good to have bouncers who care and listen whenever strippers say that they feel uncomfortable, whenever they um, alert them about a harmful customer exhibiting behavior that is, you know, alarming and is inappropriate um, and not consensual. 
that should definitely be pay, uh, paid attention to and responded to promptly, immediately. Um, and unfortunately, that's not always the case. But I think that that should be a thing. But I think otherwise, give strippers and sex workers the freedom to make their own choices about their bodies and their comfort levels and what they consent to do. Well, that's really hard for Uncle Scam because he doesn't want to think about people being autonomous in their bodies in general, you know? Um, yeah, it's not no, the vibe no. of where we're at. No. <laughs> not in the vibe. It's not our current vibe. Yeah. So, like, I have a one-off question, another one. We have a very, as, like, a society, I think we have a very um, nuanced look at how, or a nuanced perspective have on the people who actually frequent strip clubs, right? So, like, you see... In pop culture, like it's something that's celebrated. It's a place that you go for a celebration, like I said. Um, and I think also there's pop, probably some people who have feel some kind of way about the people who frequent strip clubs often, right? How do you, as a stripper, view your regulars? How do you see them? How do you? Um... What's the vibe? They take care of me. They take care of you. I mean, honestly, it's like strippers depend upon their regulars because as we just spoke about like the economy fluctuates a lot and it's it's honestly like their um loyalty to us and consistency that can really keep us afloat during periods of economic instability uh regulars are normal people and most of the time whenever you have a regular it's because there's something about your personality that clicks with their personality not always the case not always the case, I will say that. But my regulars are people who I get along mm -hmm. with, who are interested in who I am, who care about the things that I care about. Um, we talk about political stuff. Mm -hmm. We talk about labor issues together. We talk about emotions and therapy, and I send them therapy videos <laughs> and stuff like that. Love it. Like, we have a very intimate relationship together that is very human and complicated. And we even talk about, in a very meta way, our relationships, mm -hmm. like how they view being a customer, how they view spending money to spend time on me. And, I'll, and what I think is fantastic about my regulars is that they understand that I'm performing labor, they value my labor, and they really respect me. Um, and they go out of their way to show that they respect me and to value my labor. So I think that regulars are great. Um, you know, of course, there are definitely crappy people across any industry. There are crappy customers everywhere right. who are rude and inappreciative or unappreciative, and that's the nature of life. But um, strip club customers are not bad people. They're just people. right. So in that way, it sounds like your regulars are your employers, really. And the strip club is kind of the infrastructure that facilitates you meeting with your employers. Mm. Yeah, for sure. They, the strip club facilitates me having a client base or gives us a venue to mm -hmm. meet that is controlled. Mm. Um, so keeping that in mind, how would you want to see the future of strip clubs? Like mm. like that business structure? It, they should be owned by strippers. They should be owned by strippers. They should be unionized. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm very for a co-op model. That's my personal thing. I'm very for unions. I think that the more collective bargaining power that we have as a labor group, the the better conditions can be. And who knows more about strip clubs than strippers? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we have a whole list of things that we would love to see strip clubs do to make them better. And not just like nicer and more pleasant for us, but pleasant for everybody and overall more profitable. 
Um, but unfortunately, our employers don't ever really ask us for these insights or take them into consideration, and they tend to cut corners because mm-hmm. they can, um, and because you know we are excluded from the condition from the discussions about the condition of our labor uh, by and mm-hmm. large mm-hmm. i hate that mm-hmm. mm. wow i mean but that's that i love strip clubs. <laughs> I'm, I'm in this i know i've said a lot of stuff and it's complicated i'm trying right. to create a complicated picture right because but there's a lot of love there too and i wouldn't talk this much about it or have this nuanced view about it if I didn't care deeply about it as an institution or as something that people should have access to. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer in intimate labor. Yes. I think it's so life-changing and touch can be so important and the connections that I've made with people have literally saved lives. Mm-hmm. Like I've had multiple customers who are on the verge of you know, taking their own lives who have told me that I've made them reconsider things and they've made massive changes in their lives um and that's those are like you know big stories but on a smaller level just like seeing people feel good and experience comfort or joy or you know there's just a lot of beautiful things um i've i've also have been lucky enough to kind of help somebody who had had a partner pass Mm -hmm. uh, to recover from that and get back into her body and Mm -hmm. to get back into um, experiencing erotic touch in a way that wasn't just traumatic and and sad um, and gradually like open her up to meeting her new partner. So it's it's really incredible the breadth of experiences that you can have, but it's good to have a complicated understanding because we can lean into glamorizing, which is again, not giving us the full picture and or demonizing which paints a very negative picture and there's the truth is somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I would like to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you've done such an incredible job, at least for me of really highlighting the, the complicated nature of it and that it is nuanced and the, how beneficial it could be, for example, to have a venue to conduct this work where you do have physical protection and then also the complicated and very unsatisfying nature of tax fraud and, you know, and being like super controlling of those wages and stuff like that, where it's like, um, but yeah, I mean, you've taught me so much in just 52 minutes. Yeah. Selena, <laughs> where can folks find you? Plug it all. Well, I have have not been super on social media and in, in all honesty Good for you um, but you can follow me at pretty boy girl on instagram um that's my main place that i am as far as the public facing stuff but if you want to know all of the juicy details and wild scandals of my life you can follow me on patreon subscribe for five bucks or give me however much money you want to give me uh it's at the real pretty boy girl I share all of my stories about working in the club, escorting, sugaring, and everything in between. And there's a lot in there. There's like three or four years, more, maybe more than four years at this point of writing. And I publish every week. So uh, a new story there every week could be yours. To Amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. We love three it. Three to four years. And, uh, so I also, <laughs> yes. Um, 
One more thing I want to plug is the organization that I am the president of. It's called Strippers United. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at soldiers underscore of underscore pole underscore. And that was our original title, Soldiers of Pole. Um, but now we are Strippers United and we are a labor organization advocating for the rights to dignity and safety for strippers in the United States and Incredible. beyond. Beautiful. Come on, Selena. Beautiful. Come on, Selena. <laughs> yes. Selena is a sex worker. Yes. Selena is a body worker. Selena mm-hmm. is a storyteller. Yes. I love it. Selena's, Selena's an, an artist. Activist. Selena's an organizer. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Selena's many things. Yes. We love it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and educating us and really just like busted it all wide open because mm-hmm. you really did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you like this, stick around because next week we're back with more of the same but different. (laughs) I love that. Because next week we are talking about the cost of content creation. Something we know a thing or two about. A thing or two about. Just a little bit. Just a smidge. Thank you, Daddy BuzzFeed. Bye. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.